Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. If I mention the game of chess, might evoke a certain vibe. Cerebral, suspenseful, quiet, maybe a little nerdy. Sure, sure, all that might be fine. But the world of chess is changing. Ladies and gentlemen, have you ever looked at something in your life and went, oh my goodness, that is absolutely sensational? Well, you will in today's video because I'm going to be bringing you one of the most insane chess matches that I have ever been a witness to. Levy Rosman is a YouTuber from New York who is also known as Gotham Chess. His channel is full of chess commentary, chess instruction, and as you just heard, lots of excitement about the game. It has around 4.4 million subscribers. It is the most popular chess channel in the world. One more sign that chess is booming, especially among younger players. And that's thanks, in part, to a TV series from a couple of years back. Have you ever seen Queen's Gambit on Netflix? Well, this is how you play it. You'll start with d4 the Queen's Pawn and Black does the same. Now you play c4 and this is the Queen's Gambit. If at any point Black takes your Gambit, you seize the whole center and you'll win this back right away. But if they decline, develop both of your Knights. Now you want to go here, but don't block your Bishop. Move it out first, then this, then develop the other Bishop and Castle. In just eight turns, you had a great position. Now go win the game, I believe in you. What? All of that might make your head spin. It doesn't have to, though. Levy Rosman is officially ranked as an international master at chess. He has now distilled some of his chess wisdom into a new book. It's called How to Win at Chess, and he is with me in our studio with his chess board. Levy, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. What did I just hear? What exactly is The Queen's Gambit? The Queen's Gambit is a show that changed my life and mm-hmm. the lives of millions of people around the world, but it's also a chess opening. Okay. So it's an opening where white starts out with their queen spawn. And a gambit traditionally in chess is when you lose a little bit of material, but you get compensated for it. So you might lose a pawn in the opening, but you get a big center and you get all of your pieces out. And that's just one of the many buzzwords we like to throw out there to seem smart. The show changed your life? Yeah, for sure. How so? Uh, well, it's, it's very rare that there can be a piece of content out there that gets watched by tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of people that then they take action on, right? There's shows that we watch documentaries or movies or any piece of media. And then we just go, wow, that was really interesting. And then we move on. on. Yeah, right. (laughs) And then we wait for the next one or the sequel. Uh, This got people either interested in chess for the first time or sparked something within them that kind of went, wait a minute, I played this game when I was younger and it was weird. I don't remember chess being cool. What's this all about? And so when they would go to YouTube and watch a trailer of The Queen's Gambit, on the sidebar, it would say, how to play The Queen's Gambit, a little video by Gotham Chess with 10,000 views in our own little chess world. And they'd click it and go, oh, this is a lot easier and more fun than I thought it was. And that's how it all kind of spiraled out of control from there. So when The Queen's Gambit was in its heyday in 2020, I had a period where I went from, let's say, 50,000 views in 48 hours to 1 million, all because of The Queen's Gambit. And you've had... Is, is it a billion views? In total now, I have about 2 billion views. 2 billion? Yeah. 
on chess content. That's crazy. It's it really is crazy. <laughs> yes. How did, why did you start to put the videos online? The pandemic. So I was a chess teacher mm -hmm. in New York City. So I was um, I went to college. I got a degree in statistics and quantitative modeling. And I always thought I was going to be in consulting, investment banking, like going to these corporate events on campus. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was always teaching chess, and I've always played chess my whole life. So in college, I realized I could be a chess teacher. I could make my own schedule. You get paid in cash, which is kind of nice. And, you know, you only have to work, let's say, 3 to 8 p.m. on the weekdays because that's when kids are out of school. Yeah. And on the weekend, you, you, know, you go to one or two tournaments and that's it. But then pandemic happened and that all sort of shut down very quickly. And so I thought, okay, I'll live stream chess. Everybody live streams their video game ex experiences, but I'll play speed games online and play some classic rock and drink juice let's put it this way juice yes or yeah adult adult juice you know and, and i'll just have a good time because we're all locked inside and i'll post a little bit on youtube like let's see how this goes you know april 2020 let's post some instructional stuff on youtube and see how it goes i look back on that and go wow my production was bad my i didn't have uh, a good flow or anything like that and yet people still loved it some of my earliest videos still have a couple million views just how, how quickly did it take off well the queen's gambit definitely helped yeah and that's why I say it changed my life. But it was taking off pretty consistently even early on because I would try to fill missing spots on YouTube that didn't exist. For example, learning a chess opening in 10 minutes or recaps of major tournaments. There was no, in America, we have, you know, we, we have ESPN. Yeah. I'm sure there's an equivalent sports show in Canada. 30-minute mm -hmm. highlights of the best players in the world. That didn't really exist. And if it did, it was a little slow, a little monotonous. And so I thought, how are we going to capture audiences of people for the future that want to be a part of the game? How do you think you do that? I mean, how would you describe, we heard a bit of it. Mm -hmm. how, how would you describe what you do online and why, why it's grabbed people in the way that it has? I think what I do is I make people care, not just about the chess moves that they're seeing, but also the storylines, the players, their, certain decisions that they make in certain positions and the emotions behind those decisions. But at the end of the day, chess is very difficult. It's very easy for anybody in the world to watch a sport and they see the ball, whether it's in the goal, whether it's not in the goal and who's chasing the puck or who's chasing the ball or, or whatever. It doesn't matter what, what sport you like or follow. Chess is hard. Like the truth is chess is very difficult. Is. And 99% and of chess fans don't see the same thing that the top players do. Mm. And I think I've bridged that. When did you start to play yourself? I was five. And what did you love about it? I think what I loved most when I was a kid uh, was the fact that I could intellectually dominate massive humans. So I was, <laughs> I was a little kid and I could beat my dad. I could beat my grandpa. It was like, a, it, it was a, you know, I, I, every relative that came over to the house had to go through a ritual of playing the five-year-old in chess mm. and, and they lose. Would, and they would lose. Yes. And that, that was a huge confidence boost because in what other element of life can you do that as a child? But you've said that you tried to hide the fact that you were really good at chess from other people? Yes, especially in school. Why was that? Oh, it was, it, it was, uh, it was a, like a death sentence socially in school to admit that you were a chess player. Did you get beat on? Luckily, it was not that bad where I was, but people would walk up to me and go, oh, is that your trophy in the principal's office? You got fourth place in the country in chess? Fourth place in the country in anything is a huge accomplishment. Sure it is. And they would just go, oh, that's like so lame. Like what... And that was the stereotype associated with the game for many years. Why do you think that's changed, that stereotype? I mean, part of it is, you know, again, the popularity of a one TV show. But what, there's something else that's gone on, right? Yeah, for sure. The anecdote I always like to 
bring up is I was visiting my grandparents in, in a tiny town in New Jersey. And um, my wife and I just went for a little drive. And we're in this tiny little town. And a kid yells my name from across the street. And he runs up. He's this tall teenage kid. And he looked like he would have bullied me in school for chess. And now he, he recognized you from the video. Yeah, just from my videos. Yeah. He's, he's a fan of chess. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm a huge fan. And I looked at this kid like, this looks like a jock. This guy, his kid was jacked, you know. He was probably like a wrestler, a football player living in New Jersey or something. And he loves chess. And that's mind-blowing to me. And I think kids have sort of realized that it's, it's intellectually stimulating and it, it's cool to be smart. Mm-hmm. It's actually not bad to pursue intellectual cerebral activities, let's put it this way. But the beautiful thing about it is it's any age. So young adults in their 20s participate in something like chess for two reasons. Number one, it's just nice to feel like you're getting better at a hobby, uh, but it also, there's a big community now. So you're not isolated when you play chess. Your local bar might play chess 6 to 7 p.m. on Thursdays. You know, there's a bunch of online communities now uh, that are also playing chess. You might reconnect with a relative. I've heard this story so many times that, that, a, that a father and a son have only one thing in common, and it's chess. Mm. They're completely on different planets otherwise. And that's beautiful to me. So it doesn't matter what age, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's really special. You believe that anybody can play it? Oh, yeah. I believe anybody. You said that really quickly. Because, again, there's this yeah. idea that the game is only for brainiacs, right? That, that, the, oh, yeah. That, that, that it's beyond some people. I've, I've been in interviews like this one where behind the scenes I'll, I'll speak with the person and, and they say, oh, I've, you know, I never really gave it a shot. I'm, I'm not good at thinking ahead or I'm not patient enough. And there has never been a better time to learn chess because there's so many resources out there that any personality can be connected to. It's a little harder to learn chess as an adult, but mm. anybody can do it. What, what is the key? If you are just beginning to play this game, um, what's the key to understanding the game, do you think? Depends what age. So if you're getting into it as an adult, the biggest piece of advice I have is to completely set your ego aside and be prepared to fail 75% of the time. Which is hard for adults. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because anybody in any walk of life, in any job knows that's unacceptable. You can't fail. You'd be fired. I mean, (laughs) imagine airplanes, right? Like like (laughs) Talking on the radio. Right. (laughs) I mean, seriously. And, And that's very difficult because it seems like a time sink. And that learning curve is steep but it feels so good to get over it. But if you're learning chess as a kid, brain is a blank slate. You don't know anxiety. You don't know uh, the jitters of, of, of performance and competition. A kid will get an answer wrong nine times in a row in class. Mm-hmm. He will still yell the answer out a 10th time. Hello, I'm Jess Milton. For 15 years, I produced The Vinyl Cafe with the late, great Stuart McLean. Every week, more than 2 million people tuned in to hear funny, fictional, feel-good stories about Dave and his family. We're excited to welcome you back to the warm and welcoming world of the Vinyl Cafe with our new podcast, Backstage at the Vinyl Cafe. Each week, we'll share two hilarious stories by Stuart. And for the first time ever, I'll tell you what it was like behind the scenes. Subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts. So you have the board in front of you. Yeah, yeah, we have a board here. So pretend I'm somebody who has never played chess before. Mm -hmm. Um, Walk me through. We talked about the Queen's Gambit, which is one way to open a game. Yep. If I'm somebody who has never touched a piece on the board before. What, where do I start? What do I do? Give me, give me, give me chess 101. Right, right. Well, chess 101, it's, it's funny. Chapter one of, of, of my new book you yeah. mentioned, which the book is called How to Win a Chess, but chapter one is called How to Literally Win a Chess, which I thought was important because it's kind of important to even tell people like, what's the point of all of this? Yeah. Why, are, why are we here? Yeah. You need to checkmate the opponent. You need to swarm the opponent's king so the opponent's king can't get out of danger. But we're really far away from that in the beginning of the game. 
the fastest way to lose a chess game is in two moves. Okay. So I will show what not to do first. Okay. And the fastest way to lose a chess game is to weaken the king. So white's king is on the e1 square. Easy way to put that is the queen likes her color. So the queen is on the d1 square, which is a light square. And if white starts with pawn to f3, it's a bad move. So you just move the pawn ahead yes. and now... Pawn ahead one square. Mm -hmm. Black takes the center. The center, the four center squares, which are e4, d4, d5, and e5, mini square in the center here. That's where everything starts, like a central hub of an airport. You can kind of go from anywhere. Uh, and it's important to open up with your center pawns because after you move the black pawn to e5, the queen and bishop suddenly open up their line of sight, which really is what chess is about, drawing those arrows from the pieces. This is what you said something about how we see the game like as average people differently mm -hmm. than, than the best and the best, right? Yes. Uh, th this early, we, we can be aligned with the best players in the world a little bit because the early stage is just following what you should and shouldn't do. So anybody can memorize mm -hmm. and then say, oh, these are definitely the, the best moves. Um, but then the details get lost a little bit later. With all this in mind, the best way to start a game is to control the center in some way. And you can do that with your king's pawn. If we go back to the starting setup, pawn from e2 to e4. You're right in the middle of the board. Right in the middle. Two squares ahead. Yes. Uh, it is the most popular first move, for sure. And the most popular position is for black to respond in the same way. So e4, e5. I mean, you basically can take e4, e5, start walking around the street and saying, oh, I know a chess opening, e4, e5, king's pawn. Already people are going to think you're super smart. And from here, it's just, it, we take different streets and avenues. But you learn more the more, it sounds obvious, you learn more the more you play. Some of that information yes. gets encoded because you've seen these moves. You know the possibilities. Yes. You're able to kind of chart that out the more you play the game. Yes, the way I would describe it is you learn what not to do. Yeah. And the quote-unquote not to do is a massive amount of games and mistakes. But that's and... learning by failure, right? Like that's, yes. that's making mistakes as you learn how to play the game. Absolutely. How far ahead are you? I mean, it's one of those games where people, by design, are thinking ahead moves and moves. How far ahead are you seeing the game? Well, uh, as always, political answer, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> um, if we're in a complex game, so we're in a, what's called a middle game. So the opening phase is finished. My knowledge of that opening is now at, at, at a limit, meaning everything I've memorized up until that point, I, I got it on the board. So now I have uh, to make decisions. At any given moment in a position, I may have two or three ideas, two or three moves that look good. So now I need to evaluate that move based on my opponent's possibilities. And then I need to evaluate that position. Is it good for me? Is it good for my opponent? And then make a decision. So sometimes I'm only looking about three or four moves ahead before I make a decision. However, there are positions in the end game. Let's say I have a king and two pawns. And you have a king and one pawn. Everything else perished in the fight. Mm -hmm. I could see 30 moves ahead. Wow. So in the end game, best players in the world, I'm not, and even me too, ranked, I don't know, 7,000 in, 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 by today's rankings. At my peak, I was like top 2,500, but we're not going to talk about that. Um, I can visualize 30 moves ahead and then say, oh, this is a winning end game. Or it's a draw. There's nothing I can do. My opponent will defend and the game will end in a draw. So it depends. Can we talk about you being ranked... Top 2,500? Yes, back in 2018. You gave was, it up, right? Like you gave up competitive chess. I gave up competitive chess, yeah, recently. I've always had a very love-hate relationship with chess. I didn't have, my parents were like not helicopter 
parents in, the, in, in chess. They didn't make me sit and study for hours. They, chess was my thing. And when I would say I'm struggling and I, and I want to give it up, they would say, okay. And kind of, I wish maybe they had sat me down and said, no, this is what you're what, really good at. What were you struggling with? I mean, I've, I've read mm-hmm. somewhere where you said that you didn't enjoy it at that kind of level because yeah. there's an intensity to it. And yeah, like yeah, any yeah. sport, or well, you, it, it becomes less of yeah. a passion and more of a job in some ways. So I've had multiple phases. When I, when I was 12, I, I got up to number two in the United States in 12 years. It's amazing. Yes, but then I quit. I quit for three years because I hit a wall. That every chess player hits a plateau. For some people, it's 400, 800, which is your rating, your, your ELO, right? It, it quantifies your, your strength. Uh, and I hit a wall when I was 12. I quit for a few years. I was a angsty, rebellious teenager. And I came back to the game at 15. And I was a late bloomer. So I got the title of international master at 22, which might sound young. Kids are getting the international master title nowadays at 11. Wow. And they're not even going to school. <laughs> they're getting homeschooled and playing in chess tournaments. And that for me was a life's goal. I never thought I would even do it. And there's a title above that. So maybe mentally had I prepared myself for the grandmaster journey, international master would have been step one. But for me, it was the final step. I completely stopped studying. I couldn't motivate myself to improve. And, and that's what's made it really difficult since then. For me, the sweetness of victory is never, ever as sweet as the pain of defeat. Hmm. Defeat hits me way harder. And I start questioning all my life choices. <laughs> like, I should have done this, I should, you know, and, and that's, that's chess, unfortunately. But uh, there's nothing really quite like it. You're in town for this big event. Um, what's going on in, in Toronto this week? Right, so in Toronto this week is the Champions Chess Tour finale. So it's a culmination of a, a calendar year of chess events. It's an eight-player Esports style $500,000 prize fund chess tournament. And it's a knockout. So there's eight, then it's down to four, semifinal, and then it's a final. What's the atmosphere like in the room? It's, it's a very interesting time. Historically, chess tournaments are very isolating. So every chess player involved in a chess tournament fends for themselves. Chess players are, are isolated creatures. They, they go in there, they battle for hours. It's all mental. Then they got to retreat into the shadows, prepare for the next day. They're not too social. They don't like doing interviews when they lose. Mm. Who does, right? But the players on site know we are building this next generation of chess tournaments and broadcasting. So they're doing much more fun types of content, which for them as cerebral chess playing monsters and, and you know, the, the, the generally introverts is challenging, but they're on board. They're doing a lot of the interviews that, that you normally wouldn't see. They're ending their games and talking while they watch the next game on the TV screen, which is interesting. But um, inside the playing hall, it's, it's tense. Yeah. It's real tense. Well, you can there's hear a it. lot of money too. Yeah. What do you make of the uh, rise of, rise, but there are, you know, Joey Votto, baseball star, yeah. you know, of NFL players who are playing yeah. chess right Fighters. now. Fighters. They say that they can learn something from this that they can apply to their day jobs in yeah. some ways. Is there, are there transferable skills in that? It's funny, I, I've always said that uh, business leaders completely oversell the comparison. Oh, it's about thinking ahead mm-hmm. and it's about this and that. The benefits like of- Like checkers versus chess kind of thing. Like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. They're, they're doing, you know, they're playing checkers, you know, we're, we're, we're playing chess. There's definitely elements that overlap. By far the biggest benefit of playing chess is again with kids because they learn critical thinking, consequences of your own actions. You know, it, it's only you who's made the mistake. You have nobody to blame but yourself. Uh, and many, many other things, emotional stability and patience and et cetera, et cetera. Um, adults, particularly athletes, definitely have a connection with the game because there's things like preparation. 
So you will notice that certain teams have certain play actions or certain uh, athletes do this and they step this way. And you dissect all of their little movements and you can take a data approach to, okay, maybe I should play this type of way or go for this type of action on the field or the pitch or the rink mm -hmm. or whatever, because I know there's a high chance this is how they will react. This is chess as well. I'll study my opponent's games before I play them. And uh, there's a lot of reciprocal thinking involved. I can do three different things. I can pass, I can shoot, I can, I, you know, I can, I can keep whatever elements, of the ball, puck, yeah. whatever. Uh, and there's decision-making constantly. And so in sports, it's fast. And you can't, you generally can't sit and think. Uh, so there's, there's definitely benefits. And uh, it's also just something to keep your mind sharp. Like there, I think there are studies out there that say it, it's, it fends off Alzheimer's yeah. for a while. So keeps the brain sharp for sure. What do you make of scandals and cheating? Cheating is an issue. And in something like chess, where you can't test for hormones, <laughs> that's how you tell if someone's cheating in a sport generally. Yeah. And even then they can argue it was a performance enhancing, right. whatever. Yeah. Right. In chess, all you have is the correlation between a person's chess and what the strongest AI would play. And in certain games, the correlation is really strong, but it doesn't mean anybody cheated. Mm. And the truth is, if you and I played a 50-move chess game right now, and you and I were, let's just pretend, number one and number two in the world, and you or I cheated for two moves, not the whole game, two moves, nobody would know. That's the scary part. Mm. If you even told a grandmaster, not the best move, but there's something here, just that little light bulb, they're going to start thinking about the position in a totally different way. Catching that in chess is impossible online with 100% certainty, which is terrifying. So, it's human nature, though. People will cheat, right? Yes, if they, especially if they, have, if they have an option. Yeah. Prize funds go up. Mm. and So it's a, it's a big challenge. And <laughs> people cheat in thousands of games. As we're talking right now, people are cheating just on chess.com, just random people for fun. So, of course, they're going to cheat when thousands of dollars are involved. What's the key to having fun, just finally, while you're playing? I mean, the board is in front of you. We talked a lot about learning and failing and getting better over mm -hmm. time. But for people who, or they're either introducing themselves, and the book is great at this. I mean, introducing themselves to the game, but also getting better at it. What is the key to having fun? Right, and, and I appreciate you saying that. I, I did write the book to, just like my YouTube channel, be a much more accessible way to look at the game than ever before. I think the best way to have fun when you're playing is just to try to learn one or two things from every game that you play and put results aside. There is a shocking amount of information on this eight by eight grid. And as long as you play a game from start to finish and you can do some really ridiculous things, make some really ridiculous mistakes, don't let it attack your psyche. Chess has nothing to do with intelligence, nothing. It's all pattern recognition. Some of the best chess players in the world would not be able to get a job in any other field, <laughs> any field, <laughs> because, you know, that's just, I'm not saying all, I'm saying some, because that it's a very, it's a, it's a hyper specialized activity. And you might need to have a, a certain brain for it where you get so obsessed with it. But for 99.99% of people out there, it's either just a hobby where you can feel yourself improving mentally or maybe if it's physical for you, but, uh, or you just feel like you're part of something bigger, like a big community of people that are all in this together. And hey, that's why one of my most popular series is Low Elo Chess. I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm making fun of the experience of playing the game yeah. and then doing crazy, ridiculous mistakes. It's really great to meet you. Thank you very much for coming in.
Thank you for having me. Levy Rosman is also known as Gotham Chess on YouTube. His new book, How to Win at Chess, The Ultimate Guide for Beginners and Beyond. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.